Hey guys, welcome back to Four Eyes, the podcast series that gives you a clear view into the optometry world across Canada and the US. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Amrit Bilku. I'm Dr. Deepon Kar. Hi, I'm Dr. Ravinder Rindava. And I'm Dr. Alex Kuhn. Welcome back, everyone, to our podcast, Four Eyes. For any longtime listeners, you may have noticed that our episode release schedule has significantly slowed down recently. Um, the Four Eyes podcast means so much to the four of us, and we are so, so, so appreciative of all the support we've gotten for this podcast since the very beginning. And we want to thank every single listener who has kept our podcast on their playlist for literally the past like two to three years now. Um, We created this podcast during the early period of the pandemic when we had a lot of free time on our hands. And as the pandemic is now slowing down in our parts of North America, just as everyone else is probably feeling the same way, we don't really have that much free time on our hands anymore. So it's been very difficult to keep up with a weekly release of episodes based on our work schedules and our time zone differences. So we are still here for the Four Eyes podcast, but we will be releasing episodes at a much slower pace so that we don't compromise the content that we're providing you. And again, we want to let everyone know that our podcast was created purely by us. We gathered all the info for every single episode ourselves. We edit every single episode and social media or website post ourselves. There is literally no production team behind this. Um, But thank you for all the compliments in the past of um, everyone thinking that our podcast is very professional. (laughs) Um, We've been doing it all ourselves and the money going into the podcast is from our own pockets and it's just been amazing and humbling for all four of us to see how our hard work has helped us to feel more connected with the optometry community through this um, platform. So thank you again so much for listening and supporting us. And we hope you guys enjoy this episode and other future ones to come. So on today's episode, we are chatting with Dr. Joanna Carter, who is a very well-known optometrist in in the binocular vision world. She specializes in vision therapy and neurorehabilitation, and she owns a specialty vision therapy practice in Oregon called Insight Vision Therapy. She has done tons of international lectures on vision therapy and was kind enough to come on our podcast today to talk about how vision therapy can benefit adult patients and what visual conditions they can be referred for. Dr. Carter, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast today. We're really excited to talk about VT, mainly for adults today. Um, But before you dive into that, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yes. So I practice in Southern Oregon in a town called Medford. It's not very big. Um, And I decided to move down here. I'm a Pacific University grad. I'm not born in Oregon, but raised here. A couple years after graduation, we started making babies. So I wound up just doing the part-time work thing for a while. 
And uh, about six years ago, uh, I got the idea to open my own vision therapy only practice. So that um, went from thought to opening day in a four month time frame, which was fast. Wow. So, and I'd been doing some vision therapy uh, before that in another practice, but uh, brought the expertise with me. And uh, in that time, I've gotten my fellowship of the of COVD. Um, and yeah, just had this, this great opportunity to do just what I love. And I think for me, that was the biggest um, like joy and turning point in, in making that decision to open a VT only practice is because as much as it's important to have the people that specialize in things like glaucoma, and um, I just never want to treat glaucoma again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I am not shy about it. Uh, in fact, I'm just, just looking over an adult new patient who I'm seeing on Monday, uh, who's just moved into town and needs someone to manage his glaucoma care. And they sent me all the records and I'm like, okay, that's nice. I will do what I can, but then I'm going to triage him out to yeah. some, you know, another yeah. optometrist that can take over from there. So uh, it's been a really great opportunity to work with other specialists and refer out to other optometrists for other areas of specialty care that I don't do on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's a very important point. I feel like within ODs, we don't like to send our patients to another OD because we think we're going to lose a patient. But if you're not comfortable with it, and if the patient is not getting the best treatment and care, then then we fail as doctors. Right. And I, I mean, I really do. Uh, when I first opened this office, I did little seminars. I had, you know, I brought in ODs and, you know, gave them information about this is what I do. Yeah. Uh, I wanted them to see my practice, mm-hmm. to see that I don't have an optical, uh, you know, it's just, just, this is all that we're doing yeah. here, you know, vision therapy and neurorehabilitation. And, and that's it. That's awesome. Um, good for you for opening a VT only practice, um, not just with VT, but I've heard ODs in the past, um, you know, share their, their passion for, you know, a specialty in optometry, but then they might feel like they're holding back to open a specialty only practice because then they're scared maybe that they'll lose revenue or, you know, opticals are, you know, the, the biggest part of your revenue of a practice. But when you really have a good passion and a good referral base for those patients that are going to come in for your specialty, I feel like it, it's, it's going to be really successful. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it is a little bit scary at first. Yeah. You're thinking like, am I really going to have enough patients to cover the bottom yeah. line? And <laughs> I mean, I ran super lean to start yeah. um, just because, you know, you just want to be you know, make wise financial decisions yeah. when you first start out. But yeah, yeah. If you, if you have that passion for it and, you know, you, you find ways to financially mm-hmm. make it work and successful. Yeah. Um, one of the benefits of having a vision therapy only practice is uh, it's sort of easier to be out of network with insurance that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because most insurances don't headache. cover vision therapy. And because of that, why would I play that game well, everything so, just out of pocket then yes yeah okay so when we think of vt or you know generally everyone thinks of kids and you know 
treating that phoria or the tropia. Um, and, you know, nobody really thinks about adults and VT, <clears throat> but can adults really benefit from VT as well? So the answer is yes, yeah. uh, of course. <laughs> Uh, you know, my, my general mantra is that um, a patient is too old for vision therapy if they're just not motivated to do it. Yeah. And, and that is the big factor, not age, but mm -hmm. motivation. And motivation can come in different ways. It can be motivated because we don't have the time um, or just like the, you know, the energy reserves. I mean, I'm trying to think of if I have ever really seen a, a woman in her 30s for vision therapy. Uh, yeah, hardly ever. Because the, they're moms, right? They're like, yeah. they in it, <laughs> right? Busy. Like, who's got the time yeah. to be doing that kind of stuff? Um, but, you know, you typically, like, the, my women in vision therapy are going to be typically 40 and older, where, like, the early childhood stage is, is past, and yeah. so they've got, like, a few minutes to breathe again <laughs> and actually think about themselves. Mm-hmm. How about for um, seniors? Do you typically get senior patients doing vision therapy? I know during my residency, I had uh, two, one or two senior patients. And do you get that often or how do you handle those patients? Yeah. So of course, I mean, yes, I've definitely had my share of, of senior patients as well. Typically those are going to be my patients that have suffered a stroke um, or some sort of neurotrauma like that. Um, and so they're, again, they're trying to figure out like, okay, I used to function this way and now I'm trying to do it, you know, different. I'm trying to mm -hmm. figure out how to, how to track when half my field's gone or those kind of things. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, I've found that, um, those patients tend to be pretty darn motivated. Um, but sometimes I think the biggest thing that you need to be careful with, with that particular population is really understanding what their goals are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that for me, I think it's been kind of like a learning experience over time, but just making sure even at that first day, like, okay, I understand what's going on and I want to know why you're here and what your, what, what your goals are. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you've had a patient that's lost, like, you know, a half or more of their visual field and they're hoping vision therapy will get them to drive again, that may not be something that we can you know, like a real low prognosis on yeah. something like that. Right. And so I think it's very important to kind of lay out, you know, these are the different things that we can help with. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that are likely not going to change. And, yeah. you know, with that in mind, is this something you want to pursue? Yeah. So yeah. if you're having that like real candid upfront conversation, I think that's very helpful so that they can wrap their brain around, okay, this is what my expectations are. And yes, yeah. I want to do the work so that I can achieve this, you know, these things. Um, yeah. My oldest patient that I've actually like, you know, done vision therapy with in my office has been in his nineties. Um, he was adorable. Um, and actually we had to do some like telehealth vision therapy with him, which I thought, oh my goodness, wow. how yeah. is this going to work? And he actually only did a few sessions of vision therapy to help with things like scanning, because again, he'd lost about half his field uh, of vision and, yeah. and he did phenomenal. Like within, after a few visits, I, I kept saying, uh, is there anything more you want to work on? And he's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Great. Uh, <laughs> that was fastest vision therapy ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the best part when they're 
either children or adults, I feel like when the motivation is there, the results come much, well, usually the therapy goes by much quicker, you know, because they're actually doing the work and they're motivated to actually get better, which is why the success rate is always much higher with motivation. Mm -hmm. It's always key. I think one of my really fun categories of patients, of adult patients that I've been working with lately have been the patients with strabismus and amblyopia. So, I mean, I feel like people pretty much know that there are vision aspects related to concussion and that neurorehabilitation can help with that, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think people pretty much know that doesn't matter how old you are, that there's, you know, there, there's help that can be had for that. Yeah. But my goodness, people don't think that neuroconditions like strab and amblyopia can be helped after you're a certain age. Yeah. And it's mind boggling to me. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm sorry, that part of the brain doesn't change after. No, of course it does. It yeah. has the potential. <laughs> So that's been super fun. And I just, um, over the, the last couple of years, Dr. Bob Sanit, who that's where, I mean, I did my training with, with Dr. Sanit, um, and he's put out some really awesome education about um, finding the best binocular prescription for the patient. So not necessarily the prescription that's going to help the patient see most clearly, but finding the prescription that helps the brain use both eyes better together and using that as a starting point and then going from there. So, I mean, and it might be like totally under plussing, for example, Mm -hmm. that, you know, and, and, and doing things that are, I mean, even for me, a binocular vision specialist, I'm like, is it okay to do that? Yeah. Um, even working with uh, some of my adults, and I had a handful of adults that all came in in the last like six to nine months, um, like back to back to back adult amblyops. And yeah. I was like, well, this is interesting, you know, and they're like, well, I found you because I looked online and I thought nobody else has really helped in the past. I've done the glasses and the contacts and the patching, but I still have two eyes that don't work together. And I thought, well, maybe there's a chance that something can be helped. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we have seen phenomenal changes in these patients. Wow. I, I, this one in particular, the first time I saw him, I found his best binocular prescription, which was different than like, you know, the refraction that I did yeah. um, and played around with that, put, put some lenses in a trial frame and had him just walk around the office. And then he walked out front and he was like reaching out and touching his truck. And he's like, I could tell where it is. Yeah. It was the coolest thing. Like he actually could tell spatially where things were. Mm -hmm. And and, I mean, it makes me realize, oh my goodness, he's never been able to do that really before. And so since then we have switched him to contacts and I mean, he's just doing so phenomenal. And this is guy, we've done no vision therapy with him. Yeah. You know, for some of these patients, it's just about finding the right prescription that helps their brain and eyes work together. Uh, yeah. So sometimes it's as simple as that. Now, does everybody want to do that to somebody in a primary care office where they've got eh, three, maybe minutes to finalize that refraction? You know, do they want to, you know, spend the twenty minutes or so to trial frame and do? No, no, no. You know, you don't want to do that. But that—that's again, that's where the people like me come in that have this area of expertise. So if you have a patient like that. And that has, you know, no ocular disease issues, but has a history of poor vision in one eye. 
well, that may be a really good opportunity to refer to a vision therapy clinic just for that. Like you guys take care of that and then send the patient back to me. Yeah. And then you're the hero. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. We had um, a conversation on our podcast uh, with Dr. Donati about something very similar to that too. So uh, patients with aniso amblyopia, instead of pushing the plus on the amblyopic eye, um, you know, she talked about um, alternating the, or manipulating the plus in each eye so that we try to aim for symmetrical VAs, mm-hmm. uh, binocularly. So obviously then the closer those VAs are stereo would develop better depth perception develops binocularity develops better rather than treating each eye as individuals when you're, um, measuring the prescription. So right. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's been so fun to see it in adults. And I think for me, that was a big aha, because I mean, when you get one of those blank slate kiddos that these are my favorite, like they've never had the high plus on them, you know, and like, oh, I could do whatever I want. Right. And I'm not going to kill them. Right. If I start out with a low prescription and then go from there to see what we do, like there's no harm in that. Um, But what about the adults who've had all the glasses and all the different things? And so certain um, habits have been really ingrained. Mm-hmm. And when we have those habits that have been ingrained, is there still the potential to make changes? And the answer is yes. So Dr. Carter, you kind of already talked about treating amblyopia in, uh, in adults, but what are some other most common visual conditions that you can treat your adults with VT? Right. So I, I mentioned briefly strabismus. Yeah. Uh, and that's a new, you know, another uh, condition where, again, lots of lots of habits being formed and ingrained. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that one can uh, certainly it's it's tougher. It's tougher to treat when we're an adult than when, yeah. when we're a kid. Uh, I'm not going mm-hmm. to I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean it's not something that can be worked on and that we can make changes and help these patients out. Uh, and when I say strabismus, of course, you know, we've got the ESO and the EXO, but mm-hmm. man, I see a lot of hypertropes yeah. and those at first were, oh, those are scary, right? Cause you're like, ah, that's, you know, I, I didn't learn about that as much in school. Yeah. And I didn't even learn about that as much as my extra training, but there's yeah. still a lot that can be done to help with mm-hmm. that, help the brain use both eyes together and, um, and gradually reduce that vertical misalignment of the eyes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so certainly that. And then again, I've already alluded to this, but just our, our post-concussion or traumatic mm-hmm. brain injury patients, uh, yeah. that's a huge population of the adults that I see. And until about last year, that was the majority of the adults that we saw in my practice. I saw very few pa- adult patients with strabismus and amblyopia. Um, and I'd always have like one or two stroke patients that I was treating kind of at a time, but the vast majority of my adults in practice were my neuro rehab patients, yeah. uh, the car accidents and the, you know, the sporting, not so much sporting, but sometimes yeah. sporting accidents, yeah. um, those kind of things, uh, work related accidents, you know, where all the different systems are offline basically. And they're trying to get back to functioning again. Yeah. So those are, um, I, I really adore working with my neurotrauma patients uh, for two reasons. Number one, um, you, there is the potential to make very significant changes with them, uh, but it's, it can be a slower process. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'm seeing these patients a year or two or five 
after their head injury. Um, and a lot of them have been told that after a certain time frame, they're not going to get any better anymore. Um, so they're coming in with a lot of emotional baggage on top mm -hmm. of the fact that all this other stuff is going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just to, you know, to be able to walk alongside them and, and, and help kind of guide them into a place where they can function again is super rewarding. Um, but then also I have the unique opportunity um, to have personal experience with head trauma as well. Uh, about five, six years ago, uh, I had a head injury. I was with my son and stood up under a play structure, not realizing there was a, a second story right above my head. Uh, so I just popped up and then crumpled to the ground. Oh. Um, and that I, it was in, I was in bed for six days and I like all my filters were off. Like every, I was light sensitive, sound sensitive, like all the things dizzy, couldn't look at a computer. I, I got to experience it all. And, wow. and then going through that rehabilitation process um, helped me to realize some of the things like you learn about it in school, but man, it's different when you experience it yeah. yourself. Yeah. So, um, so that I think is um, unique in that when I'm talking with my patients, I can ask them questions that um, they might not have put those, the things together, like, oh, this is because of that, yeah. um, or these things are related and, you know, yeah, so that's, that's helpful too. Yeah. It helps you empathize with them more too, right? Yeah. And it makes, it probably makes your patients feel more comfortable getting therapy from someone like you who's gone through that experience. Cause that's their motivation that you went through this, a similar experience. You did the therapy, you feel much better. Right. So now you're that model for, you know, what they're trying to reach for at the end of the program, which is nice. I, I don't um, think I'd actually thought about it that way. Yeah. You should just cool. make a statue of yourself, <laughs> like by a finish line rope and then be like, this is where you're trying to get to. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I also wanted to bring up quickly and ask, um, have you also treated any patients, um, or adults with autoimmune conditions that can cause eye muscle issues like thyroid eye disease, Parkinson's <clears throat> MS, do you often help those patients or offer therapy to those patients? I have seen just a couple mm -hmm. of patients that fall into that category. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, sometimes those can be a little tough. Like yeah. I've treated a couple of patients with degenerative neurological conditions. Those ones are harder to be motivated with those, yeah. you know, because you're like, ah, I'm just trying to like kind of keep you at this yeah. level rather than Maintain. trying to achieve something like get to this point and we're done. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's, it's harder emotionally, like mm -hmm. just for me as a person, um, I think to treat those conditions, but, um, but I've had, I've had a little bit of experience in it. Yeah. So yeah. that's as much as I can say. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to bring that up because I, um, had one patient with, uh, Parkinson's who we, you know, they had, um, convergence insufficiency. And of course, some days it's going to be a lot worse than others. And then it's going to be a lot worse in the day, in the evenings versus the daytime. Um, so, you know, we would do some convergence, some vergence activities with them, um, just to get them. Yeah. To a steady level. And then, you know, we, we did set those expectations, right? So when you're having a bad day, it's not going to be as good. You know, your results are not going to be as great as what you're doing right now, but at least you can try to maintain as much of that virgin's activity as you can more for comfort, um, as that disease kind of progresses. So 
yeah, I wanted your opinion on that too, just to see how you felt treating those types of conditions with those patients. Yeah, I would say, I mean, as with anything, the more reserves you have, Mm -hmm. like the more robust your visual system is, the less likely it's going to break down. Right. So, and I guess that, I mean, I didn't put this into a category, but, um, another category of, of, of adult patients that I do see are the ones that have those decompensating phorias where yeah. they don't necessarily trope, mm-hmm. but man, they go through phases where they have a really hard time using their eyes together. I think those patients, um, you know, they've been, they, their reserves have always probably been low, but they've had the ability to, to compensate for it. And then, you know, as our overall energy level wanes, um, with age, then it's just harder to, to get the eyes okay, working yeah. together. Um, I think those patients are the ones that if, if I can be so bold, um, they're the ones that get missed the most Yeah. in primary care. Like they're the one yeah. they get glossed over. These are the yeah. patients that when they come to me, you know, I'm listening to their story and I'm thinking like, oh, I know what this is, you know, before I've even tested anything. And then I do a couple of things. And I'm like, this is what's going on. And this is how we can help. Um, they're the ones that get kind of indignantly angry. Why hasn't anyone figured this out before? Yeah. Right. Our patients with just a little bit of vertical imbalance that, man, if if you'd thrown up the Maddox rod, you would have seen it. But if you don't, you're going to miss it because it doesn't look that different. Uh, But man, it's going to cause a lot of dizziness and, you Mm -hmm. know, vestibular issues and discomfort driving, just like a lot of those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, man, I love working with those patients because a lot of times in those cases, you can build up their reserves um, and just kind of give them a better binocular base so that they're less likely to fall into those wonky vision episodes. Yeah. I feel like as like primary care, I feel like we ODs deal with a lot of that where, you know, they had um, their phoria is not turned into trope and it's an intermittent, right? Like mostly towards the end of the day. And a lot of like ODs, I feel like we kind of sometimes go by prescribing prism. And then we're dealing with a lot of RX checks because then they're fine in the morning, but they only need the prism at nighttime or they yeah. need progresses, which they can't have prism or their forest is worse at one distance. So it's a lot of RX checks for those kind of patients. And, yeah. you know, um, and I feel like we just sometimes hesitate to send to VT because then also I feel like we kind of presume the idea that the patient doesn't want to pay. Yeah. Uh, right. Ex, right? Yeah. Like a lot of times I feel like that kind of comes into play too. But again, like we shouldn't be Assume. that decision for the patient, right? We should ha- like have them choose what's the best option for them and like, yeah. you know, give them all the options that, you know, um, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if you're, if you, um, I mean, you really have a couple of different choices if you're mm-hmm. kind of considering prescribing PRISM and especially if they come back it, it, you know, and they're immediately not happy or it's not happy all the yeah. time, that's a great opportunity to say, you know, you have a system that is not very stable mm-hmm. and there's really two options. We can prescribe PRISM for different times a day or yeah. those kind of things. Or if you really want to get a more stable system, like teach your eyes and brain to work together better yeah this is, you know, this is my recommendation. This is who I refer you to for that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I think if you just give them that opportunity, they can tell you, I can't afford that. And then great. Then, okay. Then we keep doing what we're doing that them that opportunity to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. So for people listening, 
to this episode who don't offer vision therapy or don't know too much about um, therapy, um, how do you tailor a vision therapy program for adults and how is it different than a therapy program for kids? Just so that we can get a little insight as to what you do for adult patients in VT. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. There's a lot that's the same. And, and I let my patients know, like on the get-go on the first day of therapy, um, you know, we are going to do some activities that might seem silly. Uh, but with my adults, there's a couple of things that I may do differently. Uh, if I do have an adult patient who is in one of those situations that's more embedded, um, I may just have them come to the office maybe every other week for vision therapy to give them more time to work on their home therapy Mm-hmm. stuff before coming back again, because it just may take longer to start making those changes. Um, that is in contrast to some of my like neuro rehab patients that I want to see more quickly because they have a pretty quick potential of, of making those changes. Right. And I would say one of the biggest things that we need to, um, I emphasize with my adult patients much more than with my kids, um, is the, the concern of overdoing it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause they're like, I spent this money on myself and I'm going to yeah. do vision therapy. I'm going to work on it two hours a day. Yeah. And then they, and they like, they wipe themselves out yeah. and, you know, and, and our neuro patients too, they want to get better so bad, but they can make themselves worse yeah. because they overworked their visual system. So I really emphasize that. And I even have it on our, like the take home sheets every single day. I've got a a five-minute rule, if any activity makes you symptomatic longer than five minutes, then you need to reduce the level of the activity or, or the time frame, yeah. right? We don't have as much of a risk for the young ones of overdoing the activities. Yeah. Um, sometimes an overzealous parent will make that happen, but it's yeah. not as common. <laughs> we kind of already talked about our next topic, but how our adults adult patients are not getting the proper care or treatment because they're not being referred to a VT specialist. What is the best approach uh, for ODs and even other healthcare professionals to refer adult patients to a VT OD? I think the first thing is just to recognize which patients would be appropriate to refer, which that can be kind of a a challenging thing in and of itself. Uh, but in general, I would say if you have a patient that has um, kind of vision complaints, especially if they sound binocular vision in nature, um, that you are just not able to tease out or, or to like, you know, you can't find that pair of glasses that's mm-hmm. going to make them comfortable, um, then that would be a, an appropriate reason to say, let's have you see a binocular vision or an eye teaming specialist to see mm-hmm. if there's something that they could do. Um, that could help improve your visual comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like the patients that complain of like dizziness or just like discomfort or, you know, I don't know, they're not always going to use the words that would be like, oh, this needs VT. You know, they're not yeah. going to say, well, I see double, yeah. um, but <laughs> they might say, ah, it's hard to look at the computer screen for a long yeah. time or I, you know, I get a stomach ache after I, you know, I'm on a zoom call for an hour mm-hmm. and you're like, what is, you know, but that can be related to how their yeah. eyes and brain are working together. Um, and one of the things that I did in starting my practice was to, and I still do it, 
keep my ears open and, you know, look for opportunities to meet other professionals who may be good referring sources. Yeah. So in addition to the optometrists and any ophthalmologists that would listen, um, I've also met with, you know, people that do see a lot of the head injury patients, like the sports medicine doctors, the physical therapists and occupational therapists, and even speech therapists, you know, people that have kind of like-minded ways of working with patients. And because vision therapy does kind of lean on the um, kind of holistic side, I've also met with a lot of naturopaths and just kind of other alternative care providers, um, which, you know, a lot of times they're looking for professionals that just take kind of a different approach Mm -hmm. to, you know, to working with patients. And so that's been really helpful as well. Yeah. I think in practice, I I see a lot of um, refractive amblyopia. And either it's adults who got prescribed glasses at a really late age or who were supposed to patch as kids, but refused to. And then, you know, the parents will, they're like, okay, you know, you didn't patch, you didn't patch. And now they're like, oh, I want to do something about it. Do you actually get a lot of refractive amblyopia too in adults? Yeah. That, I mean, when I was talking about that handful of adults that I've just seen yeah. in the last like nine months, those were all refractive amblyopes. Okay. Wow. Um, and one of the things that um, I'm a firm believer in is not patching. So, um, and I know that goes against the grain, but I think patching sucks. And so does everybody else. So, um, (laughs) so yeah, I take a binocular vision approach to my treatment of these binocular vision conditions. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when I'm, when I've said that, you know, by taking a different approach and prescribing um, and that these patients are getting better and, and seeing better and, um, yeah. you know, depth perceptions improving. It is, there's been no patching involved. Yeah. Now, that's true. I mean, in, in general, when we talk about a refractive amblyopes, these yeah. patients are typically going to be patients that have a big difference in prescription between yes. the two eyes. Okay. And that alone in glasses is going to make it harder for the brain and eyes to work together, right? Because of the anisote, this, this isn't brand yeah. new information. Yeah. Uh, so I am usually trying to prescribe either contact lenses or Shaw lenses mm-hmm. um, to help reduce that image size difference between the eyes, which that alone can be a game changer for these patients. Yeah. Do you tend to try to like equalize the prescription? Kind of like what Dr. Donati or um, other VT. Mm-hmm. So for anyone listening who mm-hmm. hasn't heard that episode, Dr. Donati was mentioning a specialized method for prescribing for refractive amblyopes with an ISO, um, where the non-amblyopic eye, she tried to push a little bit more plus because we're mm-hmm. slightly fogging that pers- that lens so that maybe the eye is going to see 2025 instead of 2020. And then we're prescribing the least amount of plus or minus in the non-ambly in the amblyopic eye. So that way there's less aniso between the two refractive errors and a little bit more symmetry uh, between the two eyes VAs. Yeah, I am all about symmetry and balance. So if I can, if I have the opportunity to prescribe as equal as possible, then that's, that's always going to be my that's like my starting point. And then if I need to change it, I will, but yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's huge for me. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning of the episode, but I, I do provide syntonics in my practice as well. And, and again, the big, 
the big reason for that is to help to balance out the visual system because typically my patients that I'm prescribing syntonics for are either too flexy, as in they are over-converging and over-accommodating yeah. and everything's tight, or they're too relaxy. And, yeah. you know, they're like a head injury patient that can't converge or accommodate to save their lives. They're just still running from the bear. Um, you know, just, you know, but using all of our tools, whether it's lenses or low prisms or syntonics um, to help create a visual system that is in better balance. That was awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. <laughs> Carter, for sharing all of that information. I think that'll hopefully encourage more ODs to start referring their adult patients um, to any vision therapist within the area. And even if they're not close by, if it's a three hour drive, let the patient know that there's someone three hours away that they can still go to, to get a BVE valve. Because like you mentioned, these patients are always looking for somebody to help them for something that they haven't tried yet. So um, don't hold back to refer these patients or even just show them the option that's out there for them because you never know. They might, they might do the long drive weekly just to do that therapy. If it really helps them where I am in Southern Oregon, I am in this little pocket where there are some, you know, some patients that have, that drive three and a half, sometimes even four hours each way, uh, to come to my office. Wow. And, um, yeah, so it's, if they're, if they're motivated yeah. and, and you can help, um, yep. there was one woman in particular that had a stroke and had, didn't lose a bunch of her field of vision, but just balance was off and tracking was off. And her, I was so impressed. Her optometrist, and he was in Northern California, uh, called my office and said, you know, I, I just, my gut tells me that you might be able to help her, but do you think you could help her? And I, I've had a couple of those conversations with ODs in different places. And I think that is fantastic yeah. because I usually can get a pretty good feel as to whether I do feel like I yeah. would be able to help the patient or not. And I, you know, and, and in, in those cases, we've been able to make phenomenal changes, which is mm -hmm. awesome because I know they're going to go back home and they're going to be so happy with the doctor that took the time to research yeah. and refer. Thank you so much again, Dr. Carter, for coming on. Um, we'll have some contact information in our description box if anyone wants to contact you specifically to learn more. Um, but are there um, any other resources that you recommend patients to look into if they are still, you know, skeptical about VT, they want to learn more? If there's maybe any adult patients listening to this episode that might benefit, um, what kind of resources would you recommend for people to look into? Yeah, I mean, the, the College of Optometrists and Vision Development, the COVD website, has a lot of nice information about, you know, for patients um, to learn about the different visual conditions mm -hmm. that can be helped. Uh, and I think NORA also, the um, Neurooptometric yeah. Rehabilitation Association, um, I've had several patients that have found me through that website awesome. uh, because they were doing their own research. Like, how can I yeah. get better after my whatever, my neurotrauma? Yeah. Um, so I think both of those are really good resources. Awesome. Yes. And of course, you know, my own office, Insight Vision Therapy. And uh, so we do have a, a Facebook and Instagram that um, we try to keep up on. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I'm sick with COVID. And then it sits oh. there for a little while. <laughs> well, glad to know you're looking and you sound like 
pretty good. So hopefully your recovery is going really smooth so far. Today actually was like my big turnaround day. Oh, wow. So, Perfect. Timing. I know. Woo. <laughs> so that was close. <laughs> yeah. Perfect timing. And we're so happy. We finally got to meet you. Um, yeah. thank you so well, much. And thank you. Thank this you. has been a pleasure. Thank you to everyone for listening to Four Eyes. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating to give us feedback on how we're doing. You can also check us out on Instagram at Four Eyes Optum for more content. Look out for new episodes every Wednesday. So until then, stay tuned. Stay tuned.